Welcome back to the Hearts Unleashed podcast. We're turning dreamers into doers. If you're ready to open your heart and take inspired action on your dreams, you are in the perfect place with wonderful people. Here's your host, dreamer, educator, and adventurer, Abigail Gazda. All right, my friends, welcome to the Hearts Unleashed podcast. I am really, really excited to introduce to you today's guest, Matt Kahn, an author of best-selling books, four best-selling books, Whatever Arises, Love That, Everything is Here to Help You, and The Universe Always Has a Plan, which I'm really excited to ask you about these books, Matt. Uh, He is a spiritual teacher and highly attuned empathic healer who serves the awakening and evolution of all sentient beings through his heart-centered offerings. His global audience is finding the support they seek to feel more loved, awakened, and empowered to the greatest possibilities in life during this crucial time in history. So, Matt, thank you for, one, thank you for what you do. Thank you for putting it into books. And thank you for joining us here today on the Hearts Unleashed podcast. Well, thanks for having me. It's truly an honor to be here. Truly. Yeah, yeah. Really excited. And um, I'm really excited to ask you about your books, but I want to start this episode with one preface. We are calling in from Mexico. There is, uh, do not be surprised if you hear a rooster, (laughs) if you hear a moped or a truck, it is, we are living large in Mexico and you might even hear the waves of the ocean because we're just about a three minute walk from there. So we are bringing the ocean vibes into this call, the frequency of the ocean here. So Matt, I do definitely want to ask you about your books, but but I really want to ask you about you and who you are and how you got where you are, because you have this frequency about you, this very calming energy. You had a very early awakening in your life. So I'd love for you to tell us about that. Well, absolutely. I, When I was a child, I was very empathically or energetically sensitive and didn't really know what that was. Like most of us, you have to solve the mystery by living it out. And when I was a kid, I could sense the emotions of others and not tell the difference between what I'm sensing in them and their perception of me. So I would sense the emotional entanglement with their family and I would perceive it as a negative judgment towards me. I would interpret it as someone doesn't like me and I would then work very codependently to change their feeling state, hoping that if they were happy, they were happy with me and it was a very confusing way of living. Uh, Simultaneous to this, as I grew up, uh, when I was eight, I had an out-of-body experience. Uh, I went into a garden uh, that I'd never visited, but the love was so immense in the vibration of this garden that I felt so held and loved as never before, truly. I met a being in front of me who, as I started floating towards him, I kind of fell out of the sky and back into my body. And I saw the image of this figure in the doorway of my childhood bedroom. And later I saw pictures of Jesus and realized that's who I met. But I was raised Jewish, so I didn't really have an idea of Jesus. And from that young age, I began just not only feeling people's feelings, misinterpreting their experiences for their opinions of mine, but started knowing things. Things would just drop in and I would know things. And if I fast forward my life to, you know, where I am now, I learned that I was psychically picking up on the emotional debris that other people were feeling. I was feeling it because my energy field was processing and helping them heal, although I was identifying with what I was helping them clear. So I was kind of making a bigger ego mask for myself while helping to liberate them. And then eventually through the various awakenings I've had throughout my life starting at age eight, and then really ramping up in my young adulthood, 
I really came to harness these empathic abilities to help me help others be in tune with their emotions, to master their empathic sensitivities, and to really help people heal emotional wounds, awaken their consciousness through the vibration of love. And then I find that through the teachings that I offer that come through me, we are in a time in history where many teachings are being reframed and rewritten because if it's not an approach that comes from love, it really isn't the highest truth. And so it's a really important time. It's an exciting time. And I'm truly blessed to be here, a part of it. Brilliant. Brilliant <laughs> in so many ways. Uh, I love the way that you articulated everything you did. And I have the blessing of knowing so many of our listeners on such a personal level. I get so yeah. much reaching out and I can just like, I can imagine the listeners hearing what you're saying and just like yeah. the head nodding <laughs> and the, the yeah. heart like, oh God, he knows me or he gets me or I get him, you know? And so... You, this is so profound. I think I imagine it would just be such an awakening click for so many people to hear. I let other people's emotion mean what they think about me, right? Yes. If they're happy, happy means happy with me mm-hmm. or sad and angry means sad and angry with me. Right. So we connect so much to that. And I just thank you for offering that to us <laughs> just to hear, just to let it wash over us and realize like, wow, I do that and have it open a door to how we can like be different, observe as opposed to absorb. So that one, so brilliant. And then um, I love the term you used, emotional debris. I think that that's also really, really awesome. And something that we do here at Hearts Unleashed or that I'm very committed to, especially with my clients as well, is learning how to harness our empathic tendencies mm. and the way that we we might lean in towards that. And so you have written four books and I imagine <laughs> a lot of that is about this. And, and you know, I, I would love for you to offer us like, more about that empath, like what what can we do? How can we harness these tendencies to really serve? Because I think for myself, when I was young, I related to being an empath as a curse, not a blessing. I felt very judged and I often felt like too much and not enough all at the same time. And so um, what would you say to someone who might really be arriving at their awakening or this might be their awakening moment to hear these words? Absolutely. I think what's interesting is we're living in a time of history where the toxic masculine infrastructure of the world in so many levels is kind of being deconstructed. It is occurring to bring consciousness to the masculine and bring the divine feminine to equal power with the masculine. The reason I say that is because when it applies to empathic abilities, we tend to take the masculine approach. The masculine approach is definitive or searching for greater definition. Is this mine? Isn't it mine? So if we're going to, an empathic ability is of the feminine archetype. So if we're going to cultivate more feminine consciousness or heart-centered consciousness, as I call it, we have to take a feminine approach. And again, feminine is not just the gender of your body because there's a male and feminine part in all of us. To take the feminine approach, instead of saying, is this or isn't this mine? And we're like demanding an answer. We ask a question and the question does not actually lead to an answer. It's a question of self-inquiry that actually reveals the answer as the feeling of relief and healing that follows. And the question simply is, what if this isn't mine? And just by asking what if it isn't mine, anything about it that isn't yours 
immediately vanishes as a healing modality. And so some of the deepest healing modalities are not answers we find from the questions we pose, but posing the very potent questions where the answer becomes the shift that immediately follows. Again, brilliant. I could hear myself asking it already, like you said, immediately dropping what isn't, right? Because if you go, what if this isn't mine? And you can say, this isn't mine. (laughs) I am at the, like, because I know for myself, when I have the option or left to my own devices, right? Like for me, um, other than the fact that I'm engaged, like living alone has been a, a very important time for me, a phase for me to really find what my home frequency is, which my home frequency often vibrates at play, joy, like the feminine, right? Like that fluidity, uh, curiosity and and creativity. Oh my gosh. And so like to, to then go out into the world, even let's say the grocery store, or I love going to the beach, but I can pick up on someone's frequency right away. Like you're mentioning and, and to say, what if this isn't mine? It's not. (laughs) It's not. So I can go back to, I can go back to joy and play and looking at the ocean and the sun and, and enjoying my gratitude. Right. So that we don't really have to hold on to something that's not ours. And, um, I think that we feel a lot of emotional responsibility. Is there anything you, you would have to share around emotional responsibility? Because I Mm. think as empaths, we definitely do have that, but, How can we be better about that? It's a great question. Great question. And, you know, emotional responsibility, anything tends to be very misunderstood when attempted to be controlled and asserted by the ego. And I don't speak about the ego as a negative thing. It's an evil thing. It's It's the inflated identity that we live our lives through once and as our nervous systems are in a state of dysregulation or overstimulation. And so I think one of the reasons why I radiate this embodied transmission of energy, this healing energy that comes through me, is because I'm here to relax and unwind people's nervous systems so that the invitation that's offered is not taken by the ego Because anything done by the ego, even though it's a part of our evolution, leads to the rehashing of patterning versus the liberation from it. Answer your question about like what we can do. That was your question, right? Yeah, about especially around that emotional responsibility. That's right. And and it might be in the terms of like letting go, because I I know your book is ten ways to let go. So maybe maybe in that realm too. But yeah, because we we hold on to a lot. Emotional responsibility. Here's where the misunderstanding is. It's very simple. It's very innocent. Always, it's very simple though. The emotional responsibility is that we know on some level we are souls in physical form, exploring the journey of evolution. We also know that we are interconnected to all souls in all bodies. But the misunderstanding is when your ego is trying to codependently do your inner work, you assume that you must do the inner work of all. You are the light of all, not the inner work of all. You are the inner work of one being, and the truth within that being is the same truth in all, but all beings are different. Yeah. Right? That, that's the breakthrough. It is a breakthrough. That's a brilliant breakthrough because like, whoa, again, I can feel myself letting go or I can feel (laughs) like, you mean I don't have to do their inner work? And and I think that's just so important because you keep dropping ever so gracefully, you keep dropping codependency in there. And I think it's brilliant because we do not know. We do not know how codependent we are truly on that just how deeply ingrained that is. And so one, just thank you for shining light on that. And again, so gracefully, but um, that we 
it cracks me up when people take this work on for themselves. And, and of course, it's liberating. It's exciting. Yes. And I even myself, I'm like, you got to do this, right? Like, I want to tell everybody to do it, but we can't possibly have people be ready. And so, um, especially, you know, I think we become very attached to people doing their own inner work, especially when it's our family or someone we have to tolerate, maybe on a daily or weekly basis. (laughs) And so um, we might think we're being encouraging when really we're wanting something for someone more than they might want it for themselves. Or or like you were kind of saying, evolutionary, right? right. They just it's not their moment to arrive at a certain point that you can't you can't create for them. Well, you know, it's interesting because this this gives rise to a phrase I use sometimes, a new phrase I call the, you know, it's basically a new way of referring to the spiritual ego, but I call it the inner rescuer, where we are trying to rescue people from the discomfort that we can't handle feeling in their presence. On some topical level, it's because we want them to feel better, but deeper it's because we want to feel the version of them that we feel better about connecting with. And so it's fine to rescue people under very specific circumstances. Obviously, if someone's in a burning building, the inner hero comes to life. But when people are in emotional duress, what happens is, is that suffering, human suffering, is basically the inability to recognize and comprehend the spiritual process you're in. The more you understand that you're in a process, whether you understand the process or not, the less you suffer, the less you blame, the less you persecute, the less you bypass. So when we are holding space for other people, and my fourth book that's coming out next year is called How to Hold Space. So we're kind of talking about it. A little plant the seeds for the book. I'm actually editing it right now. But in How to Hold Space, it's really about, and I think this is one of the quotes from the book, because I forget everything I say, but it is, it's not a matter of what people do or don't know, right? People don't need to know more. It's a matter of how much companionship they require. And we don't need to have the answers that people beg for, because the truth is they don't know you don't know because we're deliberately being put in a moment where we're not supposed to know so that all the emotions associated to confusion and disillusionment come up and as we feel them they're being processed by our energy field and melted by the heat of alchemy so to rescue is actually to take someone off of their path even though as a human being when codependency grows from a space of unconscious empathing let's say What tends to happen is that we feel like if we're not rescuing others from their experience, we're an accomplice to their suffering and pain. We we think we're causing it. And so this is something we really grow out of. And one of the things I want to touch upon about something you said earlier about family members and this and that. And and again, I've had a very interesting journey with my family. I talk about explicitly in this book in a very open way. But one thing I realized in my journey many years ago, and it really started to make me who I am, not only as a person, but as a teacher, was the fundamental realization that I'm the only person in this world who needs to be awake. I'm the only person in this world who needs to heal, that there is a world that is transforming and it is only what I heal in myself. So part of the magic of the space that I hold is that I actually don't require anyone to do anything. If they have questions, I probably have answers. If they have concerns, I probably have ways of addressing it. And I have a very magical way of disarming and unraveling things as a healer. But when people, like, for example, just as a quick story, when I used to meet, and I I, I have a lot of friends, but not necessarily in this field, which is very unique. I used to meet with my fellow healer friends, and I thought we'd all get together in the clubhouse and be spiritual superheroes. 
And I would find that my way of doing things was different than theirs. And in the beginning, I thought either I'm onto something or I am insane. Right? So I snuck into the wrong place. Because they would talk about, oh, the world, these people, humanity. I don't experience world. I experience each moment. And each moment is manifested to be what it's going to be for me or the people I'm serving. I don't experience generalizations. I don't experience people in categories. I experience subjective individual journeys that I'm blessed to serve. So I'm the only one who has to be awake in the world. And when people ask me, like, what do I think about this? You know, I, I understand where it's coming from, but it's not how I move through this planet. Because anytime I see people's behavior that is questionable or hurtful, I am witnessing pain that someone is unaware of that is begging to be healed. And so my job is more so to help that healing from up close or afar than to make up some conclusion about how people are or aren't. Yes, yes, a thousand times. I, I mean, I could just sit here and listen to you all day. So, you know, I, I know we're on a time limit or whatever, but oh, it's so just, funny. it's almost like that smooth, that poetic. So just thank you for taking us on that journey with you. Yeah. And um, I really appreciate, so you kept saying like, I'm the only person who needs it. And I hear like the soul responsibility, like soul, S-O-L-E, and then S-O-U-L, right? Like soul responsibility to be the one who's doing the work because you, it is, if, if everyone took that approach instead of you need this and she needs that. And look, and like you said, what do you think about this? And isn't that crazy? Uh, right? Like whatever, you know, doing the thing. And, um, you were saying, I want to kind of go back one, the accomplice to their pain. Uh, yeah. And when you were talking about codependency and our empathic, how our empathy drives us. And if we are unconsciously relating to them, if we're, cause for me, I often refer to what you were saying, the, uh, the savior complex, yes. right? Like our need to just fly in with our cape and fix it all and be the mediator. And really it's inability to be with our discomfort. Mm -hmm. Right. I think a great example, you know, one of the most universal examples is death, right? Like to be able to just sit with someone in their grief and let it be as opposed to they're in a better place. It's going to be okay. Time heals all wounds. Da, 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 da. What do you, do this you too shall pass. This too shall like, <laughs> that's, all, like <laughs> that's great. Yeah. And let's just be where we are. Right. Mm -hmm. And especially clients, you know, when, when sometimes people will come to the coaching conversation to fix or change or manipulate. And I, I don't mean manipulate in terms of take advantage of, but to really just shape it differently mm -hmm. because they can't deal with how it is right now. Right. right. And I was immediately hearing they need to feel more, <laughs> right? Like to just allow to feel those feelings. And I like to tell people and let people know very clearly feelings, in my opinion, feelings are the most patient things in this realm. They will wait their turn. <laughs> yes, they oh, will. you don't want to feel me right now? Great. I'm just going to sit in your belly. You don't want to feel me right now? I'm going to sit right at the edge of your neck until you're ready. And it's like, is it my time yet? Is it my time yet? You ready to cry yet? And so like, <laughs> until we allow those feelings to come up and out, 
they are just going to sit as energetic blocks in our body. So I would love to ask you how you help people, because if you're in each beautiful moment and you're just observing and noticing where, where and what there is to heal or maybe who to support, um, what kind of approach do you take? Or, you know, I know it's, I imagine it's probably different, but yeah. and I can imagine that you're probably picking something up in this question anyways. <laughs> of course, of course. Well, it's funny because it's like, you know, for me, healing is like a chess game. And every time I play chess, I play it differently for the person. And I've had this spontaneous ability to do things in a session or, you know, on stage at, at a retreat with many people that I've never said or done before, but I'm teaching myself my process as I'm doing it, which is kind of a fun thing to do. But, you know, a lot of times what the healing is really there to create and develop and cultivate is a deeper relationship with a feeling. So we, you were just so eloquently talking about feeling your feelings. I, I had written on Facebook a couple of days ago, broken pieces shine brighter than protected ones. And the ability to feel vulnerable, unsafe, displaced, confused, sad, heartbroken, devastated, lonely, disillusioned. When we are doing it in the safety of a qualified coach, healer, or in a community of heart-centered beings, we are making it safe enough to go where we are afraid to go. And when we start to feel feelings, to give something attention is to begin a relationship with it. And so a lot of times with people, I'll say, okay, let's, let's, let's pinpoint the location of the feeling and then let's speak to it, and this is a common approach, as the inner child within our innocence. Because really the ego, as monstrous as it can appear to be, is just a Halloween costume your inner child's wearing. And so we really want to see through the facade of the Halloween costume that is only so uh, egregious for the attention it begs for. And so we say to the feeling, now that you have my attention, how can I help you? And then most people get confused because they don't get an answer. The non-answer is the innocent saying, thank you for now being what I need, but I'm gonna need you to engage with me like this more often so I can develop trust and know that you're not a repeat of my hurtful past. And just with our hands on our heart, being the supporter of our feelings, not the controller of our emotions, not the one trying to fling it out of our energy field, you know, in the savior complex, which I as a healer in my career have done, which is how I grew out of it. Of course, hey, look, look. Guilty. <laughs> the only way you get better is by doing it. So no shame in that game. Because at the time that was the work people needed. That was the work people needed to clear so much debris out of the jungle of the third dimension. But now we're aligning in a 5D standpoint. People have to change and healers have to change, teachers have to change. So it's about creating relationships with emotions so that they're more of an ally to your evolution. And there's not these really old beliefs that say, if I feel a negative emotion, that means, uh, let, I mean, let's come up with every spiritual excuse. I have a low vibration, that's not true. I am gonna manifest more of the same, that's completely not true. <laughs> if I feel this way a lot, dark entities, from a different dimension are gonna attack me. Not true. Any fear-based spiritual thing, oh, I must have been an evil dictator in my past life and this is God hurt, you know, paying me back for all my punishments. Not true. When we develop relationships with our feelings, we are not trying to align an effect with a cause. Aside from the effect of, may the arising of this emotion make me more genuinely and authentically connected to my emotions, 
May I relate to it like a child in need. May I become the parent for my emotions that is either equal to the greatest parent I have or the opposite of the parent I did have. And this is how we reparent ourselves. This is how we let go of attachments to the past, step into the present, and start to manifest our highest potential in fully embodied form. Thank you for going there. Thank you for taking us into inner child work. It's of the highest value, the highest good in my sense. And I like that you were sharing, like these are common practices. Like I would love to invite our listeners, like rewind that, listen back. You can sit in a meditation and do that. You can sit in a journaling session and take that work on. And um, I often have, you know, like you were saying is like, what do you, now that you have my attention, what do you need? And I love the, like the soothing of the inner child. And Mm. and I often like to remind, let that child know that you are the loving parent now, right? Like they recognize you as them, their older, right? No more mom and dad out there mom and dad in here, right? Mm. And so, and come to me when you need. And I think, you know, cause inner child work is so subtle and yet the most, and the loudest thing, right? Our inner children, like you said, those big oh, Halloween costumes, I love that analogy. And that they're begging and screaming and they're manifesting. I love saying that as like, they are manifesting things in your life to get your attention. So pay attention. And so like when I finally do have someone into an inner child meditation, it's like, remind them that instead of needing to put the costume on or manifest a a disaster, they can come right to you and ask for what they need, but you're going to have to be more, you know, attentive. And so it's just so it's, it's the best work to me. It is, it's the work. And I just think it's so brilliant. So thanks for taking us there. (laughs) You're welcome. And I think another thing to say in terms of inner child work is think of your ego as the costume your inner child wears and you are its parent. So let's think of the inner child as the seed of inner creation. And what inner creation needs is two things, because consciousness manifests as two forces. It manifests as the force of evolution, spiritual evolution, and it's the flow of creativity or inspiration. And what happens is a lot of times when people's inner children don't have a regular art expression, don't have a coloring book, don't have markers, don't have a journal, don't have a way to self-express, then they manifest as these versions of children that beg the parent to come rescue them in this really painful game of hide-and-seek. So in a way, another part of this is the way we get out of the loop of manifesting endless spiritual problems as the only way that we connect with our inner child the other thing is making sure that if we are really spiritually on fire and seeking higher clarity that again the masculine seeking the knowledge seeking the truth the feminine must be balanced and the feminine is always the fertile ground of creation so to the degree that you are seeking a higher truth or a different reality you should equally make sure you have some form of artistic expression to ground all that you are seeking and receiving to balance both sides out and what you will find is that you won't just use spirituality as the means to solve endless problems it will be the way to become aware of how whole fulfilled and sometimes imbalanced we become and what to do about it 
perfect. Thank you for saying so. Because um, to me, and as you know, you kind of touched on the feminine energy. I think that creative expression is one of the greatest gifts we can give ourselves, and it can be quite effortless. It doesn't have to be, you know, this big daunting experience. It can, and and creativity shows up in so many different forms. You know, music, dance, play, writing, journaling, coloring. Like, I, there's so much to it. And um, and specifically inside of Hearts Unleashed, you know. I really, uh, at this point in my life, like I know when I was first starting out and I was becoming a coach, like that, there was this primary focus on understanding business and all of that. But the more that I allowed infinite intelligence and divine inspiration to just, cause I was getting, like, I've always known that I've had this entrepreneurial spirit, like this, it, it will not stop no matter even if I ever wanted it to and there's been days where I've like cursed it as well but learning to accept that really so much of the work is the masculine archetype is being deconstructed and broken down because if it's not coming from love like it is not sustainable and so I just really appreciate that because any expression uh, like any creative expression is truly of love and so I'd really love to ask you in what ways is Matt Kahn living his heart unleashed? My goodness, what a great question. What way is Matt Kahn living his heart unleashed? Well, you know, I have gone through a lot of healing in the last couple of years in particular. I mean, we all do, but I'm feeling so much more in my body than ever before. And I think that part of the benefit of that is, you know, when I'm not serving humanity through the work I do, one of my creative outlets is, is cooking. And I'm very into cooking probably going to come out with cookbooks and want to do a TV show because my entrepreneurial spirit thinks just like yours. And I think that, you know, in my creative process and just to touch upon back what we were talking about, creative creativity for people, what keeps people from being creative? They don't think they're good at it or they think it's going to not be good. And it's trying to make your art good that keeps it from being authentic. So if you do art, make it ugly. Uh, there are times when, I, I mean, I cook really elegant, beautiful, citrus-forward, plant-based spa cuisine. That's what I call my food. And it's gorgeous, and it's healthy, and it's how we love ourselves with food. But I'm not afraid to make something ugly, to do something wrong, to mess up, which will happen. And I learn from it, and I laugh, and then I order out. So for me, art has been the balance of all this amazing spiritual expansion I've gone through and I continue to go through. And if it wasn't for art, I wouldn't be able to ground what I know and transmit. And so I never would trust a spiritual being who isn't an artist. It's that important. Amen. Amen <laughs> to that. It's so important. And I appreciate that you mentioned cooking too, because for myself, uh, it never looks pretty, but it, it tastes good. And I like, I definitely like it. But for myself, um, my, you know, cooking was such a beautiful, it was actually very cathartic in some of my darkest times. It was just something yeah. that I could just rely on. It was something that I can not turn my brain off, but really just intuitively move my body and to, to uh -huh. you know, add the ingredients and move this, get the stove going. And, and like these just, is very methodical and all of it. And I just, so I appreciate that you dropped cooking in there too, because and that people fight for, I'm not creative, BS, BS to that. And so thank you for just saying so, because it can, creativity can look like anything, include like, I'm just like, what just came to my mind is like chalk, right? Like go draw with chalk or go, yeah. you know, whatever, sewing, I don't know. I could go on and on. We're all by, by the way, by the way, you, when you said, I, it's not always pretty, I laughed because 
I've had the same moments of like, this is probably going to taste good, but this is not Instagram worthy on any level. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a very funny thing. And here's the funny thing about creativity. People that say they're not creative in that moment are creatively judging themselves. That's a form of creativity. So can we even see that the way we even renounce our creativity is our creativity being misused, but it is being used. So it's there. Amen. Amen to that. And I so appreciate that. And then there's one more piece of that, which is what I put into my book, Alchemizing Judgment is all about alchemy, but I teach that creative energy is often misused as sexual energy. That's interesting. Yeah. Because creative energy is so arousing, right? Like we get so excited and it's so playful. And so we're like, oh, I'm, I'm horny, right? Like I had to do something (laughs) with this. And so we misuse it. And so I just, I appreciate like really, because it is always in action, we are just not always observant of it as you've kind of touched on like the difference between observing and just kind of participating unconsciously. So Matt, what a brilliant conversation. (laughs) This has been so, so fun. And I I imagine people would love to connect with you, follow you. Where, where can we, where can we find you on the interweb? On the interweb, on the internet web. I am, uh, so I'm on Facebook. Uh, I, I post there daily. I, I do all my own social media. I'm on Instagram, but to sign up for my free newsletter and get a free activation and to follow my schedule of events, uh, go to mattcon.org. That's M-A-T-T-K-A-H-N.org. Beautiful. Yay. Definitely, you guys, please sign up for a free activation. Please go get closer to Matt Kahn. Let him in your field. I'm sure he's already dwelling there, but again, it's time to observe and not just unconsciously participate. So Matt, thank you for who you are in the world. Thank you for joining us here at the Hearts Unleashed podcast. And Hearts, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for opening your heart. Thank you for receiving all of this information. I hope you got exactly what you needed today to go live your heart unleashed every day here on out. Thanks for tuning in to the Hearts Unleashed podcast. We hope you found all the inspiration that you needed today and that you use it to take the next inspired action on your dreams. If you love the show, share it with a friend. We love spreading the love. For more information, to listen to more episodes, or to shop Hearts Unleashed, visit us at heartsunleashed.com. See you next time, Hearts. Hearts.